Look at that. We are off and running, my friend, on another week. We are live. At Miles on Sports, Mr. Brad Thomas. Listen, man, the world of college football was shook up a little bit last Saturday. All right? And we can sit here and talk all day about how poorly Ohio State looked. (laughs) I want to talk about it more on a meta level because this Ohio State-Oregon game, I think, represents where we are in college football right now. And I think it also represents what we talked about in the entire offseason that this year is one of the most wide-open college football races that we have ever had. It might be the most wide-open race we've had in college football playoff history. You've got Clemson and Ohio State already down with one loss in the first two weeks of the season. It's wild. You know what I'm kind of afraid of? And I was telling this to someone. I think it's going to be one of those seasons where every playoff team is going to have one loss, and they're going to have, like, seven teams who can make a legitimate argument for being in the college football playoff. And then if Cincinnati runs the table, what do you do with them? They have to be an auto bid if you have six teams, five teams, or the top three teams all having one loss. I think you're right. College football was shaken up. It was a tough game for Ohio State, tough game for Clemson, but both of them can bounce back by winning their conference because they'll have enough ranked games to do so. Still with that that top five win by Oregon, they have to still run the table. Because with USC losing, if they use to USC later in the season, it's it doesn't look as good. I can't auto shoe them into the playoff, which right so much happened like USC getting upset by Stanford, firing their coach. Like goodness, what a wild world! What a wild world of college football we're living in this week. Yeah, and now you're in a situation where you know the Pac-12 race. There's probably going to be surprise teams. There's probably yeah. going to be you know Stanford just absolutely annihilating a USC team that we thought would, you know, was a talented football team having a good season. But man, I mean, the time was now to fire Clay Helton. And then you've got Oregon, right? Which is the complete opposite because that game was where their coaching and their recruiting caught up with the program because you go into Ohio stadium and you win a game like that where, you know, only Oklahoma has been able to do that recently. And, you know, so it's a program-defining win for Oregon. And in some ways, it's, you know, it's a it's a wake-up call for an Ohio State program where, at least for me, we are not where I thought we were. And the 14.5-point spread it tells you everything you need to know, that Vegas is never that wrong. Yeah. You know, Even and- Vegas was wrong. They, Vegas was confused. And if you think about it, Miles, so going into that game, I had circled Oregon, and then I go, no way in hell. I crossed them out so fast, and that's just covering the spread. For you guys to, to lose and lose the way you did, I think that this bodes well for the West Coast. Yeah. Listen, if you can tell recruits on your side of the country, if you stay here, we'll build something special. We'll knock off the Ohio States. We'll knock off the Alabamas. We'll knock off the Clemsons of the world. It just makes the parity in college football that much better. Selfishly, I don't want that to happen because I want Alabama to dominate every year. But as a college football lover, I, I want to see Oregon go cross country and win big games because their coaching's there, the recruits are playing hard, and they're keeping guys in state or on their side of the country. It definitely changes, you know, my perspective on where the Pac-12 conference is at this point 
in relation to, you know, the big 10 at least, yeah. um, you know, but, but having said that, I mean, Oregon could still be a two or three loss team, but you go and win a game like that. And it, it says a lot about what the coaching and recruiting have done for you up to that point. Agreed. They were so prepared. They had a great game plan specifically in the first half. You know, in, in the second half, we we started to get things going a little bit, but just the way that the first half turned out, you know, going into the locker room, losing, and really not having a plan on, you know, both sides of the ball really is what it felt like to me. There were so many adjustments that had to be made and it wasn't enough. So now we're at a point where you've got a wide open spot. And we'll talk about Cincinnati today. They're definitely in that. We've got Iowa playing really good football. They go on the road to Iowa State. Called that game perfectly. Yeah, we really did. called this Iowa team perfectly. We knew they were going to be good because Kirk Ferentz does this. This is how different coaches do different things. This is the Ferentz way, right? Yeah. Where you build up your program every four years to be in this spot. And, you know, not to say that that, that they're going to be an undefeated team, but right now they're one of the best teams in college football. And yes. then you've got your constant, right? Which we'll talk about Alabama again today. <laughs> but that's a whole different story. Before we go into the games, okay, we're off to a sizzling hot start here in college football on games that you and I agree on. We are hitting six and one against the spread on games that we agree on. So just that's spicy, my friend. That's spicy. So I'm very curious to see how many games we agree on today. Number one, after our three and one week last week, and if we disagree on anything. So let's go ahead and get into it. Week three shaping up to be a much better slate than week two, and it starts with one of my favorite nights of the year, which is looking at the schedule originally. I didn't know we were going to get the whiteout game this early, but when you've got a ranked two and O sec team coming into town, you know, they're going to have to do it. You have to do it. So we've got Auburn number 22. We've got Penn state sitting as a top 10 team, which also we called that. We knew that Penn state was going to come in playing. Well, we knew they were going to get back to the way, the way that they play football, but this is a big one. They're coming in as, we're going to call it six and a half point favorites. Yeah. I've seen the line around a little bit, but let's go ahead and stick with six and a half. Miles, I'm going to tell you where I'm at, and I hate being on this side, but I'm going to go ahead and take the Auburn Tigers plus six and a half here. Brian Harson has his team playing great. So, a fun thing that I like to do, and I think this will make a lot of people who are listening better handicappers, don't just focus on handicapping one game at a time. Literally dig down, dig down inside the stat book and see where people are ranking and efficiencies and, and pressures and all that. So this Auburn team, we know they played cupcakes. Well, they played Akron and Alabama State first two games. Well, top 10 defense, top 10 offense. What's really, what's really important about that is top five D-line pressures. They're getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. One thing that we, we were kind of wondering how this um, Auburn team would do would be how are they possibly going to – kind of replace the pieces that they lost over the last few years on the defensive line. And they've done so well, it's kind of hard not to want to back them. Penn State, on the other hand, a lot of distractions. Frank, I know it's a whiteout game, and, and I think Penn State will win this. But I think it's going to be a very hard-fought defensive battle, much like the Wisconsin game, where it's going to be less than a one-score victory. And by when I say less than one score, I mean less than a touchdown victory. James Franklin here, you know, one of the candidates interested in USC, no matter what anybody says of how bought in he's going to be, there are going to be players on that team who are going to feel a little bit jaded. They're going to feel a little like Franklin might have one foot out the door. 
So I'm going to go ahead and back Auburn plus six and a half. If you would have told me I would have done this at the beginning of the season, I would have said absolutely not. I was hoping you would back the SEC because, of course, I'm going to back the Big Ten. All right. And just, I, you know, just to refute the one point, I mean, even with if there's distractions going into this game, the players come to Penn State for this game. You know, this this is why they come to play football here. And it's to be in games like this and it's to be in the whiteout atmosphere. I don't think that this James Franklin and USC thing is going to be a factor. However, I do think there is something to be said. If you look at the ESPN Power Index, which takes into account these defensive pressures and offensive efficiencies, and they take things into account that the AP poll does not, this is a top 10 matchup. Yes. You've got Auburn and Penn State both in the top 10 you know, of those metrics, which makes it a much better matchup than we originally thought it was going to be. Now, as for the line, I think that Vegas is taking into account this Auburn dominance. Yeah. And it has been really impressive. But again, it's been Akron and it's been Alabama State. I go back to that Penn State game against Wisconsin and I'm looking at the quarterback matchup here. First of all, Bo Nix. He's 1-7 against ranked opponents in his career. He's 1-5 on the road. Now, I know that they just got to cover the 6.5. But to me, this is either going to be a really close game or Penn State's going to win by a couple of touchdowns. Sean Clifford really impressed me in specifically in the Wisconsin game, but I'll get to last week as well. In that Wisconsin game, Clifford understood the pace of the game, which there's something to be said for that. There was never any panic in him. He knew what was going to win that game. He limited his, his mistakes, and he also picked his opportunities to make big throws. Now, I'm not saying that Bo Nix can't do that on Saturday. What I am saying is, I haven't been able to see Bo Nix do that against the level of competition that Penn State has had this year in yeah. Wisconsin. That's so totally for me, it, it really comes – and it also comes back to, you know, in the first quarter, Bo Nix, Auburn, they're going to have to adjust to the crowd. It won't yeah. be that much of a factor the whole game because this is an SEC team. This is Auburn. They know how to play in front of tough environments. The spread's a little bit higher than I want it to be. But with Auburn, Auburn's margin of victory, what, 112 points right now? <laughs> but the question is, is, you know, what do they do against really good defense? Which comes back to your point of, do we, you know, do we get a defensive battle in this one? And if there is a defensive battle, then absolutely the favor is with Auburn. But I think that Bo Nix is going to be the one to make the mistakes in this game, and it's not going to be Sean Clifford. And that's why I'm going with the Big Ten. Not to mention, the Big Ten needs a win. Big Ten needs a win. I, you know, you signed with the Big Ten – I, I stayed far away from saying SEC defense. You know, that never came out of my mouth. So. <laughs> but Auburn Auburn could have started their season off winning by, what, seven points, ten points against yeah. Akron and, right. and against Alabama State, done okay. And then it would have been a totally different story. They would have nothing to believe in. They would have known it had been a mediocre team. But big wins, scoring nearly 60 points in both games, it's, it's something that you can kind of hang your hat on. You go in there, you're, you're fearless. You've proved, that, you've proved it on the field. Um, I don't know. I, I, maybe Harson's a locker room guy. Maybe I don't know. I, I just feel like this is gonna be a lot closer than than the spread indicates. I would probably put this at three and a half. I'm gonna go ahead and take uh, take Auburn here, and as much as I hate it. All right, moving on, man. Let's go to number one, Alabama. Number eleven, Florida. They're in the swamp for a three thirty game on CBS. Alabama, fourteen half point favorites. Oddly enough, the same spread that we talked about for Ohio State, and Oregon, and Alabama is even on the road here. I'm going to go ahead and start with this one Yes. by saying that last year in what was one of the most dominant seasons in college football history, Alabama was nine and four against the spread. Okay. 
What does that tell me as a better? It tells me that there is no spread big enough for Alabama and where they are right now. All right. So because you've got to think, you know, all the teams that, that they played last year, nine and four, such an impressive mark against the spread where Vegas was trying to beat them and set these spreads high enough for them to not meet them. And right now they're just cruising specifically against Florida, nine and three against the spread in their last 12. But let's talk about the Gators right now. Apparently Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson are going to do some kind of split. It's kind of what they've been doing, but I, I have to think that Richardson's going to get more playing time. I don't know. Emory Jones has four interceptions, four interceptions combined against Florida Atlantic and USF. <laughs> that is not going to keep you in a game like this. I don't care how loud the swamp is going to be. 35-14 over FAU. 42-20 over USF. Couldn't cover against USF, which I thought was an absolute lock. There is, And then my last point, Florida's defense has not shown any improvement. Have they showed enough improvement to slow down a team like Alabama? 14 I don't think they have. It, it, this Florida team is not good. You know, Miles, you said it. Emory Jones is not good. Two interceptions last game, which was really the, the, the grossest part of it. When I was looking at these charts, these graphs that are so cute, I tried to posting them on our Twitter at what's the spread underscore so people can go see them. The biggest glaring factor was Florida's third down efficiency, 44%, which is good enough for 50th in the country. Last year when Alabama played them, yeah, it was close. This is when you have Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, you have Tony, you have studs, you, your defense is better. Now Alabama gets to come in here, rested off a, a Mercer behind whooping. One thing about Alabama that I was really, really shocked about, and I didn't think this would be where we were going to hang our hat this season, the run game is serious, man. I thought losing Najee and um, All-Americans on the offensive line was was something that we should be afraid of. You know, I was like, man, how are we going to get the production? Brian Robinson, a Tuscaloosa, Alabama guy, mind you. He did what the what the Alabama way has kind of turned into. You wait your turn. And, you know, we was ridiculed in the offseason for probably not going to be the guy who can take the next step. I think at one point I even probably said Trey Sermon's going to be the guy or um, Trey Sanders is going to be that, excuse me. Brian Robinson is running hard, running well. That's what we're hanging our hat on. We really going to need players to step up uh, – from, from the wide receivers, but I think Bryce Young's efficiency has been doing enough to, to get us by. I think that we win this game by 21-plus points. I'll be down the swamp, super, super excited to watch it. I just don't think that Florida's offense is going to be able to keep up, and their defense hasn't shown improvements. At least, listen, uh, improvements against FAU, against Nossie Perry, who was garbage at Miami, and excuse me for disrespecting like that, but I'm calling a spade a spade. I don't think that they've shown enough to be dominant to 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 prove themselves even at home. Yeah, and Florida just has too many problems on both sides of the ball. They lost too much from last year. I I just don't think they're ready for this game. And I think that Alabama is just doing Alabama things, and they yeah. proved it in that opening game against Miami. Um, whereas, as you said, you know, it helps when Bryce Young has that strong running game to rely on, but it also helps when you have this defense playing this well. So, unfortunately. We've really only gotten the Bama-Miami game, right? Because Florida really hasn't played anybody. Mercer isn't anybody. Yeah. This is a big game for both teams. 
But I think that's where Vegas is doing right here, where they're being a little cautious with the 14 and a half, where I think the spread should be higher. Yeah. If Vegas goes here and they throw down a 23 and a half point spread, people hammer Florida. They can get, they can get in trouble. This here, you can kind of get limited liability. Cause if you think about Florida fans, they're betting Florida, at least a lot of them. A lot of Alabama fans are betting Alabama. And then you have the few sharps who are going to come in and decide around game time. Now, if you make it 23 and a half, all of the liability is going to be on Florida. All right, let's get to a couple of hidden gems here. Uh, a game that I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, this is a Big Ten ACC. Michigan State traveling down to Miami. Uh, Miami sitting as six and a half point favorites. I'll go ahead and let you start on this one. <laughs> Listen, you're probably not going to like my answer. Um, and this has nothing to do with the Big Ten. Sure. Um, when I was handicapping this game, everything I had is on Michigan State. The only thing that that has me off Michigan State, I mean, the only thing that would that, that would make this point without making my main point would be Michigan State's last year against the spread trends, which I threw out the window. Miami, they don't really have much that that's the, to be desire. Twenty five to three against Appalachian State. King didn't throw a touchdown in that game. Two hundred yards passing. He did run well. Miami, for me, uh, you know, they do enough um, on defense to where I can take this risk, you'd say. I'm going to go ahead and back Miami minus six and a half. And I don't do this often, guys. So don't don't come and drop hate mail in my inbox if this fails. But I cannot. I've pulled from multiple sources. I cannot back a team on the road for a less than touchdown favorite who is taking in, on average, of all the sources that I've checked, 92% of the money in over 71% of the bets. I can't do it. And so for that reason, I'm backing Miami because the ham- the public is hammering. The Sharps are hammering Michigan State. I love Kenneth Walker. I think he's going to be a great runner. But I just think that this is one of those situations where I my eyes can get really big and I come here and I hammer I hammer Michigan State because the line's just so unreal. Miami just didn't cover against Appalachian State. This is a top five defensive line, regardless of getting blown out by Alabama. I think that Appalachian State is underrated defensively. King is still getting his bearings under him. I'm going to go ahead and take Miami, minus six and a half. And I think that Appalachian State might be the best team in the Sun Belt. Yes. uh, You know, for, for this year. And there's no doubt that Miami's schedule has been brutal. When you look at their, you know, trends or statistics, they had to play Alabama, you know, week one. That's tough. And then you come back and you got to play a really good Appalachian State team. Then you got Michigan State, right, who went on the road to beat Northwestern and then had an impressive performance against Youngstown State. I'm back in the Big Ten here. But as you said, I'm backing Michigan State. I keep saying Big Ten. I promise I'm not picking all the Big Ten teams today. <laughs> as I said, or uh, as as you said, though, there is something going on with this line, right? There is yeah. something that we're seeing, and I think it is on that defensive line. The Miami front seven is going to be much stronger, and they are the key in this game because if they control this game like they can, it's going to be a different story. But Michigan State, even with the coaching change in Mel Tucker, they're still playing Michigan State football. And on the road, that travels well, where they're running the ball, they're controlling the clock, and they're playing good defense. It showed in that opening uh game when they were underdogs at Northwestern, which I don't really know, you know, the quality of opponent that Miami is right now, because like I said, having to play Alabama, I mean, Miami is currently ranked 110th in total offense. Quarterback rating is down from 152.7 last year to 117.7 this year. So the other question is, 
is this a you know opponent thing or is it where De'Ari King is just coming off the injury and he's having trouble? Because Michigan State is looking really good on defense this year. Yeah, uh, no, they're looking good on defense. And what really worries me is uh, Miami's offensive line. I said this in, in the first game, I believe, in the first podcast of the season where people want to rant and rave about returning offensive line members, but that doesn't mean as much when they're not good. Um, and th- this is a situation that Miami's running into. I totally respect your pick. I'm not going to go against it like I was going against uh, Auburn and, and, and Penn State here. I respect and see why you pick Michigan State. I'm just going to go against all this money on the other side. There's no way that Vegas is going to take this kind of liability and, and not move the line as much as, as, it, as it hasn't been moving, you know? No doubt, man. I got you. And and also, I think it's important to watch those line movements. There's, yeah. there's something to be said for trends, the way the teams look, but there's also something to be said where the money's going. All right, let's go to another hidden gem here that we were really excited about. I know one of us had it in our top 10, you know, non-conference. I think we both had it in our top 10 yeah, non-conference Yeah, I think we did. We got Cincinnati at Indiana, which Indiana looking a little different than we thought. Cincinnati coming in as three-and-a-half-point favorites. I'll go ahead and start with this one. Here's the thing with this matchup. Iowa and Cincinnati play very similar styles of football. We were talking about Kirk Ferentz's brand in Iowa. Luke Fickle is very similar, and it doesn't matter whether he's on the road or he's at home. He's going to come in with a really good defense. They're going to force a lot of pressure. They're going to force a lot of mistakes and a lot of turnovers. Michael Penix doesn't look good. He looks uncomfortable. He looks rattled. He looks flushed. And it was in both games. I mean, even last week where they got the win, he still did not play good football. It was their running game. So if you're having to rely on your running game, and Cincinnati has one of the best front sevens in the group of five, there's three and a half is not that much for Cincinnati to cover in this game. How are you feeling about that? I'm taking Cincinnati with you, Miles. Listen, we know these teams haven't met since, what, 2000 or something like that? So I'm throwing history out of the window. Cincinnati and I, Cincinnati it, it has been waiting. Their opportunity for a regular season Power 5 school as strong, as reputable as in Indiana. They come in here and they beat Indiana by a touchdown or more. They are looking for a top five ranking. It is totally, totally, totally doable. Cincinnati has a top 14, top 15 defense. They're top 10 in pass defense. And I do not think that Penix is go- – the way Penix has been playing, you said it. You alluded to this earlier. Penix has not looked well in either game. This defense is going to get to him. It's going to be loud. It's going to be raucous. But Fickle is going to have his boys ready because there's just so much good things happening to Cincinnati right now. They're undefeated. They're top 10. They're going to the Big 12. You know if they make a statement this season, go undefeated with this schedule? It's leaps and bounds for their brand recognition recruiting because players are going to know they're going to play in the Big 12 soon. I like this, Miles. Um, and I'm going to say one more thing about the public money. This is just to prove my point, and I'm glad we went back-to-back on these games. I'm not just fading the public all the time. Because the public is 75% on Cincinnati. But I think the public is right here. It's, you just got to pick and choose your battles. Sometimes you want to fight the public. Sometimes you don't. And I think that is a smart bet. I think Cincinnati wins this. I think they cover the spread. If you're afraid of the three, three and a half, wherever you've seen it, you can still get minus 140 at a lot of books. I'm definitely okay with laying that juice. All right, man. So, hey, we uh, agreed on two of them. Awesome. Before we get into our next segment, guys, I want to invite you to follow our bets. 
My bets are on my Twitter at Mr. Brad Thomas, where you'll see my bets in my articles for soccer, football, sometimes throw up golf there for you. Miles is at Miles on Sports, where his articles and his picks are on there as well. And then collectively, if you want to follow the podcast, it's at what's the spread underscore. All right, man. Let's get into the NFL, where our yes. week one was not horrible. All right. It was <laughs> it was doable, but we are we are looking for three and one records here, right? That's yes. That's what we're all about on what's the spread. But I'll tell you a lot of the things. Well, well, let's talk about the the record setting, you know, week one of underdogs, right? It ended up being oh what, my God. Like 13 and four. The underdogs were against the spread, which, you know, that, that's how Vegas makes their money. All right. So now the question is, you know, the lines, right? So yeah. like what's an overreaction? What's an underreaction? That's what we're going to get into. So let's go ahead and start with a game that you sent to me. We got the New Orleans Saints minus three and a half at the Carolina Panthers. It's a one o'clock game. What do you think? I'm going to go with the, the New Orleans Saints. Um, adding Jameis Winston, I think, was probably one of the best decisions they could have made because Jameis has a lot to prove. And he has a defense that is good enough to where he doesn't have to prove much. And I mean physically prove much. So all they do is take care of the ball. They'll be they'll be perfectly fine. They held the Green Bay Packers to three points, only 229 yards. A lot of people are going to tell you this nonsense that Aaron Rodgers was checked out. I'm not buying it. I think he was stifled and surprised. I think he thought they were going to go in there and beat the Saints. I'm taking the Saints here. Sam Darnold is Sam Darnold. You know? They beat the Jets 19 to what, 14? It's yeah. the Jets, man. They showed that they they, they have our one facet offense, and that's through CMC. And I think the Saints D-line is going to get pressure on Sam Darnold, who's only sacked once in that competition. I think he's going to be on the ground a lot. I like, the, I like the Saints to cover here. Where are you looking? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I agree that that's, that's BS, that Rodgers was, you know, either checked out or I, I think it was just straight up that he was taken by surprise by a really good game plan. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I think that that is valid. But I like the plus three and a half here with the Panthers at home for a couple of reasons. There were some things that I saw. Well, first of all, I need to see two or three more performances from Jameis Winston before I'm going to throw my hat in the Jameis Winston ring. But there is something to be said for how strong the Saints defense looked. And that does scare me. But on the other side, Carolina played pretty well too. I know it was the Jets, Zach Wilson's first start. But Carolina holds that Jets team to 45 rushing yards on 17 carries. They got to Zach Wilson six times so i think that they'll be able to create a little bit of pressure on winston as well and then there's a trend that i really like that the carolina panthers in their last 10 games as an underdog eight and two against the spread i love trends in the nfl and i also want to see if i can take advantage of this line that maybe would have been a little bit different if the saints wouldn't have come in and just completely blown out the packers in week one and had a surprise like they did right so and i do think that the line would have been much different had that been either a close game or a saints loss you know, there's there's a lot to be said for how Vegas is setting these lines week after week. There's also a lot to be said for, you know, don't uh, put your hat in the ring on, you know, th- everything that you saw in week one. There are some things that are fact, and there are some things that aren't going to hold true for the rest of the season. Just look at the Bengals. Yes. The Bengals come away with a week one win, and they beat a Vikings team that might win eight or nine games this year. I don't know how good the Bengals are, but yeah. I can guarantee you they're that they're not expected to win a lot of games. So – I'm going with the home game. I'm going with the plus three and a half. Saints can still win this game by a field goal, and I still get the cover. No, All right. What's next, Miles? Texans and the Browns. And let me just say, my friend, you called that Browns and Chiefs game to perfection last <laughs> week. I saw your middle on Twitter. You said what you were going to do, and it happened. 
And now I'm really starting to see that if you're watching a Chiefs game and they go down, first of all, you know they're going to come back. Yeah. You don't know every time they're going to win, but you know they're going to come back and put up points. And it seems to me that they always seem to find themselves down. So I don't know what the deal is there. But this Browns defense held Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs on week one to 10 points at home. And yes, the Chiefs eventually came back and won the game. But I'm telling you, I'm not fading the Browns again, especially when we're looking at a 12.5-point spread where the Texans blow out the Jaguars, right, 37-21. There is nothing to be said for that. I think the Jaguars might be the worst team in the NFL. It's Easily not the worst team in the NFL. Like easily, like by far, they might yeah. not win the game this year. That's how bad I think they are. And hats off to Tyrod Taylor for coming in and doing what he did because this guy's been looking for a chance, and he, and he, he, he keeps losing it, right? So hats off to him, but I think the Texans are still as bad as we think they were going to be. And I'm back in the Browns here, minus 12 and a half, to prove to me that they are as good as I think of what I saw in that Chiefs game, which was a really competitive Browns team that had some really good coaching. They came in with a really good game plan and impressed the hell out of me in that game. For me, Miles, there is not a single doubt, not one doubt, that the Browns are going to win this game. But I'm going to back the Houston Texans plus 12 and a half. The Texans here, listen, if they would have had a quarterback like, uh, you know, a pocket passer or something, they come into this game against that Browns D-line with Jamie and Clowney, Miles Garrett, etc. I, th- I would have been easily back in the Browns minus 15 here. They have a quarterback who, even in his time in uh, Los Angeles, took care of the ball. Uh, they're 6-3 and three against the spread in their last nine. Tyrod Taylor's is serviceable, but what they have most importantly, Miles, that you cannot you cannot teach is hunger. They have three backs who were okay. We'll say two were ostracized and cast out from their from their teams for new and shinier objects, and a third who knew that he had to go. He was loved by his previous team. They have Philip Lindsay, David Johnson, and and Mark Ingram, who all ran the ball very well. I'm not getting too high on this game. I'm not going to go here and tell you to go freaking hammer the Texans because that's classic week one overreaction. But I really do like them to cover the, the cover the spread here. The Browns aren't really one of those teams who, you know, just throw the ball deep and, and go after it like that. They run the ball hard and they pound the rock. That's why when Kansas City started to go, they, it was kind of hard for them to turn the engine back on because if the run game's not perfect, then, then you know, it's not going to work for them. With that, with OBJ being out this week too, I I, I think that um, the Texans will be able to game plan against Anthony Schwartz a little bit better. I was very disappointed in the Browns not getting Donovan People Jones involved, not only because I had money on him, but because I think that he can have a bigger impact in a game than in a. And this is no disrespect to Anthony Schwartz; he did his job, but I think he'd have a bigger impact than Anthony Schwartz does on a game. Jarvis Andrew looked good. Everyone looked good. They they them hanging in there. As a six and a half point dog against the Chiefs was enough said that they could be in that AFC title game. But I, I, I like the Texans here. I'm going to take 12 and a half a crap ton of points. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if, if there's one thing that we learned in week one, first of all, is that all the underdogs were covering in that, you know, in those games, it turned out that the spreads were, you know, they, they weren't right. So, yes, 12 and a half is a lot of points in the NFL. Um, and there's something – so this seems to be – you know, Vegas not reacting to the Texans 37-21 win. They think the Texans are as bad as they thought they were, and I don't know. But Tyrod right. Taylor did look really good. He looked comfortable. He looked hungry, as you said. 
What uh, I'm twelve and a half is a lot. Interested but, in is seeing where this line ends because it, it opened at like eleven and a half, eleven, and it's like going towards the Texans still. I'm really interested to see where it where it kind of settles at. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Minnesota Vikings at the Arizona Cardinals. All right, this is a four or five game out west. The Cardinals are four point favorites. I'll go ahead and let you start with this one. This one confused me, man. I I think that this just seems like such a trap. I the average margin of victory in the NFL is it depends on which decade you look from the era is around three and a half, four and a half points, right? And we're sitting at four a home game, middle of the day. Vikings coming off a terrible loss to the Bengals, but they're four. They're eight and eight, oh and eight in their last eight against the spread. And this is a remade Cardinals offense. I mean Cardinals defense. I'm taking the Cardinals minus four and a half just because I have to trust the numbers. They sacked the quarterback six times last week. This is a defense that has J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, Isaiah Simmons, Brian Murphy, Buda Baker. That's just the starters, and I only named a few. Backups at, at tackle and Cordy Peters. Marco Wilson, like, backup DB. Deontay, John, Deontay Thompson, who's a good young cat, who's really good and has the ability, and he's rangy. They held Derek Henry to 57 rushing yards. Do you do we realize betting public that the Tennessee Titans were a top five offense efficiency team last season, and now they're in the bottom third, bottom fourth after one game? That's what this Carolina, uh, excuse me, this Arizona Cardinals team did. I'm taking them. Dalvin Cook averaging three yards per carry is not going to get it done against a good run defense. Kyler Murray's playing, and we said this. He will play out of his mind this season. I have shares of him to win the MVP. He's going to have an MVP caliber season as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I am 100% overreacting to this line, and I don't care. Like I, I am all over Cardinals minus four because there was nothing that the Vikings gave me that made yeah. me think that they're going to be able to put together some kind of game plan to do anything on either side of the ball. Uh, with how good the – I mean, the Cardinals just came in and smacked a good Tennessee team straight in the mouth oh yeah it was Kyler Murray playing at a level that we knew he was going to play at this year and with the Vikings against the Bengals you're not able to do what you want to do which is move the ball with Dalvin Cook and force third and short situations which they were not in the entire game this Arizona Cardinals offense you're looking left and right and left and right you got I mean just getting contributions from everybody how about Christian Kirk how about Rondale Moore in his day quietly uh, getting catches. Chase Edmonds, I think, is one of the most underrated backs in the entire league right now. Chase Edmonds is what they thought David Johnson was going to be. Yeah. Edmonds is a pass catcher. He, he, You can line him up out wide. He runs in between the tackles. He's underrated, man. There's a reason yeah. I put him in all my fantasy drafts, and I was happy to. This Cardinals offense, as you said, that the defense played so well last week, but if if you're telling me you know, that the Vikings are going to keep it within four, I just I just don't see it. I agree. I totally agree. I'm so glad we're in agreement there because I was scared that you're going to say, Brad, all of your bets are just overreactions. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have as the wrap-up here? All right, so this is this is the game that, that I wanted to pick. Uh, we got another AFC East matchup here. We had the Dolphins and the Patriots last week. This is Buffalo Bills going at Miami. The Bills are three-and-a-half-point favorites. All right, I was really proud of my uh, Dolphins plus three pick last week. All right, I would say that it was just because – I just felt like everybody was on the Patriots. And the Dolphins showed me what I thought that I was going to see. I picked the Dolphins to win the division in the beginning of the year, and I'm still sticking by that. The reason that I want to talk about them again is because I'm going to back them again. I'm going to back the Dolphins plus three and a half. Now, 
This line may be an overreaction and it may not be high enough because the Bills, what the heck happened to the Bills last week against the Steelers? I mean, come on, man. Six and a half point favorites and you lose to the Steelers. Whereas, okay, that at least in week one, you have to admit that was not the Bills team we thought we were going to see. But it doesn't mean that the Bills still aren't as good as we know they can be. And that's why they're coming in here as three and a half point favorites. But with the, the Dolphins really impressed me last week on the road, by the way. And it was Mac Jones' first start. All right. This, you know, this is a little bit different. You got Josh Allen, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But for me, this is backing my division winner pick to make another surprise and for the Bills to be a surprise 0 2 team. And yes, I'm calling the Dolphins to win the game too, not just cover the spread. I love it. I'm on the other side. This is, and I said this last time and I lost. But this is my favorite uh, bet of that of the of the night. Uh, the Buffalo Bills minus three and a half. We are forgetting for those who are upset about the Buffalo Bills losing last week. We're forgetting that they were playing against a top five, top ten defense in the Steelers without Zach Moss playing on the game, playing in the backfield. They didn't want to run the ball. I think they're going to make adjustments. I think they're going to come out hungry. The Dolphins should have never won that game. And I'm not taking anything from the Dolphins. They played well. But they let the Patriots march all up and down the field on them. I was disappointed because I drafted Dolphins defense. I'm like, Dolphins, can we get a stop at some point? This is a New England team who racked up over 380 total yards. Mac Jones looked like he was attacking. Josh McDaniels lost that game. They didn't let him loose. I think if they let him loose, they win that game. But, yeah, the Bills, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, you know, uh, they're a connection that we're going to want to continue to see blossom. But yeah. at halftime, Josh Allen cannot be your leading rusher. Listen, Bills Nation, Bills Mafia, ask the Ravens how that turned out for them. When the Ravens were very one-sided and they refused to run the ball with their running backs, was this two years ago? Like Josh, uh, uh, excuse me, my Lamar Jackson's MVP season. When it really mattered against tough defenses and, and, and when you really needed to turn your team on, it was hard because you never established a run. So they, they knew the ball was going to be in your quarterback's hand at all times. It's easier to defend that than when you have to worry about versatility of your running backs coming out of the backfield or you hand him off or even, even tosses out wide. I like this spread a lot. I think we got a good number, a good overreaction number. I still yeah. like your Dolphins bet because I think that we're going to see the Bills lose at least one of the games. We're going to see the Bills lose at least one to the Patriots. Dolphins already have one up on the Patriots. Your bet's looking freaking nice, man. I just think that the AFC East is, is more open than people yes. thought. Oh, agree. And, and I, I, think that I, I, told that. I told everyone on Twitter that if you're hammering Bills at minus 165, you need to get a new job or you need to stop gambling. Those are not – that's not Oklahoma value. Right. And we just talked about how, how difficult it is to consistently be that – you know, 12 yeah. or 13 win team. You don't just consistently have 13 win seasons. The NFL is too good for that. Look at the Patriots. Mac Jones looked every bit the part. Yeah. Patriots are going to be a part of this division as well. Still waiting to see what Tua is, is really going to give me as a quarterback, but I just like all the pieces around him. Yeah. But AFC East is a, is a wide open division. And one, one day you and I will maybe learn to agree on the NFL, but. <laughs> maybe, maybe day is not the disagree day. on every game. Oh, we agreed on one. That's good. Yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Was- that's the one that we're going to hit. That's, that's right. Of course. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening to this segment. Up next, we have a special guest for you. Who's going to give their favorite picks of the weekend and our favorite new segment called the goal line. 
Welcome to the Goal Line, where we end every show by bringing in our favorite handicappers from the Twitterverse to give their best bets of the week. You might have heard of today's guest from hitting a nine-leg 27K parlay featured on FanDuel, analyst for Dimers and Better Off Sports, and co-host of a new podcast, Bankroll Blitz, at Prop Holiday. My man, welcome into the show. What's going on, guys? Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Hey, we are so glad that you're joining our podcast. It's been crazy the buzz you've been getting about this parlay the dream parlay that's like the hail mary parlay hits week one now you're set for the rest of the rest of the football season so we're gonna dive right into it your first action comes from the new england patriots taking on the new york jets go ahead and start with your action and tell us what you got sure i'm, I'm actually going back to the well on this one so i like this week damian harris over five and a half receiving yards it's minus 120 on caesars Last week, it was three and a half yards, and I thought it was a glitch when it first came out. So now I expect this week to maybe be in that 11, 12 range, maybe eight or nine, still at five and a half. So this is essentially one catch. Um, last week, he was targeted three times. He finishes with two receptions for 17 yards. Um, last week, the rookie Stevenson had a costly fumble. So did Harris, for that matter. Um, but for whatever reason, Belichick really loves the Alabama guys. I don't think it's going to have any impact on Harris's snap count or any of his touches. Um, he played 53% of the snaps week one. I actually think it's going to increase this week versus the Jets. So over five and a half receiving yards, it is minus 120. There's a little bit of a uh, little bit of a juice on there, but it's one catch. And I think he's good for one catch, especially after seeing what Christian McCaffrey did nine receptions for 89 yards versus the Jets last week. Damian Harris is not Christian McCaffrey. I am in no way suggesting that, um, but we do have a bit of a benchmark here. So five and a half seems very, very reasonable. I'm going to keep playing it until it, if it's still under 10 every week, I'm playing it every week. That's awesome. Me being a Bama guy, I love anytime anyone takes Bama props, especially Damon Harris. We talked about this before, how I think Damon Harris is an underrated pass catcher. And I was actually kind of surprised the usage of James White was a little bit lower than I expected last game. So I'm, I'm all for it. Um, the next game that you're going to be talking about with us, the Cincinnati Bengals. Miles has a sweet spot for the Bengals. Go ahead and lay your next prop on us. Sure, sure. I mean, this is a it's a rookie, so there's a very, very small sample size. Um, but I love what I saw week one. Jamar Chase over 21 and a half for his longest reception. It's minus 115 over on Caesars. Uh, on Caesars. So his average target distance is 16.3 uh, yards. His average yards after the catch was 5.1, um, which just sits right about this line. Again, it's a very, very small sample size. It's one week. But the connection between Chase and Burrow, it goes back to LSU. It's going to grow week to week, especially in the NFL. In week one, we saw a 50-yard bomb that Chase had. So he certainly has that big play potential in him. Um, and now it's the opponent. They're playing the Chicago Bears this week. The Bears were gashed for three plays, 37 yards and above against the Rams. They also gave up completions of 19, 18, and 17. So they had six big receptions last week. Uh, and I think a lot of that is because how poor their secondary is. Um, they could be one of the worst units in the league. I mean, Marquis Christian, he's a slot corner. Sometimes he uh, trails, plays free safety. He graded out very, very poorly in PFF. Um, and Eddie Jackson, for anyone who's a Bears fan, I am not, but I know a few. He's one of the worst tackling safeties in the league. So – I really love this opportunity, 21 and a half. I think it's going to go up every week, 23, 24, as he makes these big, big plays. So 21 against this opponent, or 22 to hit the line, I, I like it a lot at minus 115. 
Awesome. I know Miles is going to be rooting for Jamar Chase as much as he possibly can. You know, it's kind of funny that 21 and a half number. So books often set the longest reception of a game at that 22.5 because so many catches end at 22. I really like that you have that hook safety in there. Miles, you have anything to add for this game? Just really impressed with Jamar Chase's debut, man. I mean, there was a lot of hype behind this kid. And, and of course, we know what Burrow and Chase did at LSU. But the way that they were connecting specifically with this prop down the field, down the sideline, I mean, that's where the money is. Uh, just really impressed with with his debut. And I, and I think it's going to continue. I don't think there was any kind of fluke there in week one. I think Jamar Chase is the real deal. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for jumping on What's the Spread podcast. Guys, be sure to follow this man. It's at Prop Holiday, and that's two L's in holiday. Be sure to follow. He puts out his articles, his videos, his TikToks, and his plays. If you guys want to follow the podcast, it's at What's the Spread underscore. Follow me and Miles on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Mr. Brad Thomas. Miles is at Miles on Sports. Thank you guys so much for tuning into What's the Spread podcast. Be sure to download on Twitter, iTunes, or however else you get your podcasts.